I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to Counseling on Demand. I'm your host, Fred Riley. Hey, thank you for tuning into today's podcast. If uh, you have uh, suggestions or questions, please feel free to email me at Fred Riley Jr. That's Fred Riley Jr. at gettingbacktolife.com or leave comments uh, on the podcast itself. And please uh, be sure to, to rate uh, your favorite podcast and, and leave comments or questions. So today, that's uh, what we're going to talk about is we're going to get back to some discussion about parenting. And, you know, parenting is hard. I think as as generations go on, I think parenting becomes more difficult. It, it requires a lot of teamwork, a lot of uh, thought ahead, a lot of planning, a lot of trying to be on the same page. And so one of the things that uh, I see most often is where a child's behavior splits splits up our, our parenting. And some children, not all, but some children are really good at creating marital uh, marital discord in order to get what they want. So and what I mean by that is if they want to go do something, they'll they'll kind of split between the t- the two parents. They'll get them engaged in in an argument. In the meantime, the child gets to go do what they want because the couple's upset with each other. So as you think about this, uh, parenting, you know, it's not perfect. We we do the best that we can, but we're going to talk about just kind of polishing up and being aware of how behavior can interfere and some ideas of what to do with that. So the first thing I want to talk about in terms of not letting a child split uh, with their behavior split between or interfere, kind of perform, uh, put a wedge between you and your spouse, is that um, couples, one of the first mistakes we make is couples start to blame their partner for the child's problem. The child is the one with the issue. The child is doing something they shouldn't do. But for some reason, we tra- start to point the finger at the child's behavior being a result of our spouse. For You know, if you, sh- you shouldn't yell at him or you should do it like this. If you said this, then our child wouldn't get so upset. So the thought I have there is even... If you have good intentions, and I had to learn this for myself, even if you have good intentions, telling your spouse how to parent is insulting. You might feel like you're coming from a very good place. You might feel like you have an angle on a child and and that you understand that child's behavior better. And you may fully intend, especially if you're kind of a peacemaker, caregiver, uh, people pleaser type spouse, you really feel genuinely and authentically that you are there not judging your spouse. You're there to help your spouse. Well, that usually turns into a list of how stupid your spouse is. No matter how well you try to deliver it, and we'll talk about this in a minute, your judgment, your evaluation, your well-thought-out idea with your spouse 
often can be insulting. And then we have a new issue. That's where the child is split between us. And while we're arguing, the child's getting away. They're getting what they need because we're just trying to to get away from them and we're we're getting distracted. So even though your intentions are good, keep in mind that telling your partner how to parent will often uh, yield this result of uh, feeling insulted or feeling stupid. So what, what do we need to do with that? Your child or teen's problems need to be viewed like an external object. So let me tell you what I mean by that. When I worked in the emergency room, every once in a while I'd be up on uh, the ICU floor uh, maybe somebody had a gunshot wound or something like that. And so I'd go up to ICU once the patient was medically clear. And my job was to evaluate whether they were uh, psychiatrically, psychologically okay to send home or did they need to be admitted uh, to, to psychiatry at our hospital or a different hospital. And one of the things I noticed when I was up in ICU is you would have a cardiologist, you'd have all kinds of specialists that were rounding on a patient. And they had this cart and they would pull the chart out and they would be standing in front of the patient's room and they would each be sharing their perspective on what that patient needed in terms of quality of care. Now, this is what I want to talk about with parenting. When maybe almost looking at your child like a patient. So when the cardiologist had an idea, it would be insulting if somebody else, another specialist, told the cardiologist how to do their job. There was a certain amount of trust. There was an allowance. There was a respect for each other's profession. And so the, the patient would suffer if there was an argument or if there was a discussion about how somebody could do something better. So like uh, these surgeons, I suggest that you look at approaching your child's condition or the behavior, almost like a patient. And what I mean by that is you bring to the table your ideas for treatment. Your spouse, your partner, then gives their idea, and we suspend judgment. We're, we're just gathering knowledge that both partners bring to the table. You're going to bring something to the table that in your mind really feels like it works. So is your partner. So there's more value in discussing where each other's coming from and trying to blend that together the best as possible versus judging, disputing, arguing, or giving examples of how that approach won't work or how you have a tendency to know better. Your child needs to see that consistency. They need to see that teamwork. And a lot of times if they don't see that teamwork, it gives them kind of a message that, hey, you don't understand how to treat them, the patient. They also see holes in the system where they're tempted to try to disrupt that, try to make the parents argue over what's going on. So, so far we've talked about this idea of splitting, being, uh, being mindful as professionals, your child's this external object, this patient, you're bringing your expertise together with your partner's expertise to evaluate an option for the behavior.
Welcome back to Counseling on Demand. I am your host, Fred Riley. So we've been talking a little bit here for a few minutes about splitting and uh, kind of a first technique for looking at um, focusing on a child's behavior as as a team, as a treatment team, if you will, versus uh, getting caught up in judging or trying to tell your spouse about your expertise versus their expertise. No matter how well you say it, and like I said, I've I've learned this for myself, no matter how genuine, authentic you are, no matter how well you deliver the message, no matter how accurate the message is, your spouse, your partner is likely to hear it as judgment, as a, a list of how stupid they are and how wrong they've done things. So we want to keep that in mind. Again, splitting, I don't think I really defined that, but splitting... It, There's a number of ways that children split, but the idea is to try to break down communication, prevent communication, so that they can get their needs met without the two of you being on the same page. So one other thing in regard to this that I wanted to mention is that we have a tendency to think that, you know, you might have a good idea, for example, of how to consequence a child. Our tendency is to think that if our idea is right, then surely your spouse's idea is wrong, your partner's idea is wrong. The reality is, is there's parts of both approaches that are right. There's parts of both approaches that are wrong. And so one way to not get caught up in conflict and discord is to keep in mind that just because your idea sounds good and is accurate doesn't mean your spouse's is wrong your partner's is wrong. And just that, and it goes the opposite direction. Let's say they, ha- your partner has a good idea. They're not telling you that you're wrong. Their idea, if it's right, if it's helpful, great. But we got to get our ego out of this thing. It's not one is right, one is wrong. If your spouse has a good idea, try to stay in this place where you're saying, okay, we're talking about a patient here. We're talking about something outside of our marriage, this external object. This is not personal. They're not telling me that my approach is wrong. Now, talking to your spouse, we want to try to deliver. I, I talked about how delivering ideas can be kind of dangerous and kind of, um, you know, ruffle some feathers. But what, what you do want to do is you want to establish whether it's after the kids have gone to bed or maybe at a dinner or something like that. You do want to establish a little bit of um, an expected time so we're not just doing this off the cuff, but where you're reviewing, where you're talking about the outcome of a behavior. And in that setting, we now know, we now expect to have each other offer up things that we learned, things that have worked in the past. And and that kind of suspends that judgment a little bit because by by history, you're going to learn to trust that when you're talking about it, it's kind of like a treatment team after surgery reviewing and saying, okay, what did you see that worked? What did you see that didn't seem to work? When I worked with uh, adolescents, this was uh, shift change is what we called it. And what we did is we didn't talk about how right we were or wrong we were. At that shift change, I would share with staff members that were coming on what I noticed worked and what I noticed didn't work with the youth that we were working with. And that, again, was talking about an external object. I wasn't talking about how I was a better employee or how you are a better spouse or partner or parent than the other. So some language that we might use would look like this. I noticed 
that in situation X, our son doesn't listen too well. Okay, you're just sharing what you've noticed. You're not telling the person that uh, you know better. You're not saying that you're an expert. What you're saying is, is very okay to say, I noticed that when you talked to Billy, he got upset. You're just inviting your spouse, your partner to take a look at it without being accusatory. You're not going to offer up a solution for your spouse. What you're doing is you're saying, hey, I noticed that when I did X, for whatever reason, Bob responded to that really well. Allowing your spouse to take that in, your partner to take it in. If they want to use that approach, great. If they don't want to use it, it's not a personal thing. There's collaboration. It's awareness. It's feedback. So when we have that setting, we have established review. I, many of you uh, probably grew up with uh, watching Bill Cosby. Uh, the, the episodes were pretty much chaotic. And how did they end? They ended with Bill Cosby and his spouse review, sitting in bed and reviewing and talking about what to do with their children. And, of course, it wouldn't be a good show if it ended with laughter and kissing and all that stuff. It's not going to turn out that way every time. But an island, a place where you can say, hey, I noticed during the surgery, I noticed while working with our child, this worked and that worked. And what you're doing is you're showing your child, your children, that you're a united front. You're showing your children that they can't disrupt that good communication. They they can't pin you one against the other. So another thing that uh, to talk about really quick is to be mindful to absolutely back each other up. Have the discussion later. Now that can be hard because sometimes we just absolutely do not agree with a technique or a tone of voice or what have you from a spouse or a partner. My findings are when you work and back up your spouse and discuss it later, you're not telling your spouse you're stupid. You're not getting caught up in the middle between a spouse and a child. You're supporting them and then discussing later the concern that you had with that approach. It makes it safer for your spouse or your partner to hear that feedback rather than having that feed, uh, that feedback one-on-one, rather than accepting or trying to get them to accept that feedback while the child's standing right there. So the idea is we want the child to understand, the teenager to understand, which is hard. It's hard to get teenagers to understand a lot of things. We want to get them to understand that they don't get to ruffle our feathers. They They may say something, we may disagree, but we're going to back each other up no matter what, short of violence, obviously. And then we're going to come together and discuss it. And what that helps your child learn is that there's good boundaries there, that parenting, marriage, being a couple is about coming together and problem solving together, not versus each other. Um, we want to, what what we're talking about is closing these, this um, disruptive loop. Okay, if you look at uh if you look at communication, I look at it as like bubble wrap. So let's put your child in the middle of this vision of bubble wrap. And the idea is if you're the bubbles, the child's goal is to try to get the two bubbles, you and your spouse, you and the teacher, at odds with each other. The other objective of the child is to communicate on behalf of mom or communicate on behalf of teacher so that you don't communicate with mom 
or you don't communicate with a teacher. That's the, those are the two main ways that splitting occurs. What you're doing is you're helping the child know that you're not going to let them get you upset with each other. You're not going to let them tell you what your your mom or dad or whoever said without checking in with them. As a matter of fact, one more idea before we wrap up is the rule in my house, the rule with folks that I've worked with, is that when anybody name drops, so name dropping is my mom said, my teacher said. We close that loop by saying, okay, so when I go and talk to that other bubble on the bubble wrap, when I go and talk to that other teacher, they're going to say this, right? The child needs to learn to not name drop, not bring somebody in unless they're there thus stopping some of that manipulation, some of that splitting. So those are a few ideas on working with children, being aware of splitting, um, being aware of how to stay kind of uh, cohesive, realizing that there's a lot of techniques, realizing that this takes time, and realizing that you're not going to be perfect at it. I am Fred Riley. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to tune in to other podcasts as well. You can get a hold of me and find out about... uh, our agency online at gettingbacktolife.com. That's getting back to the number two, life.com.